0: Good morning. This is Tommy Ray, and we are in episode 79 of Water Rights, Laws, Guns, and Money. Today is July 17, 2023. I really enjoy interviewing experts and getting their advice and assessment as to what is happening in the water world in Colorado and in the Western states. Experts like to be interviewed. To help educate us. But it is sometimes hard for all the stars to align to get interviews arranged. I have invited several and they have agreed to be interviewed, but getting schedules to come together is sometimes difficult. But trust me, I am still pushing to get their interviews. In the interim, I continue to search out articles of interest. Sometimes, listeners send me information. I really like when that happens. Today, I'm going to report on an article in the September 12, 2022 issue of The Guardian. This article was later modified on February 24, 2023. The Guardian is a British newspaper. It was founded in 1821 as the Manchester Guardian and changed its name in 1959. The Guardian is part of the Guardian Media Group owned by the Scott Trust Limited. The Trust was created in 1936 to, quote, secure the financial and editorial independence of the Guardian in perpetuity and to safeguard the journalistic freedom and values of the Guardian free from commercial or political interference. End quote. That's a great goal. Profits are reinvested in its journalism rather than distributed to owners or shareholders. I think that's interesting. I believe this gives them a lot more freedom to research deeply and report the truth with no slant to their stories or them having to bend to the will of the paper's owner. In other words, no Rupert Murdoch behind the curtains. I'm a little surprised that The Guardian is also reporting on the drought in the western U.S. They seem to have a balanced approach but ask many of the same questions I ask. They wonder, will the drought put alfalfa farmers out of business? They too know that agriculture, mainly alfalfa, consumes 80% or more of the Colorado River's dwindling water supply. Some of the following are their words. In California's Imperial Valleys, tractors rumble across verdant fields of alfalfa, mowing down the tall plant and leaving it to dry in shaggy heaps under the hot sun. Here, in one of the oldest farming communities in the Colorado River Basin, alfalfa, a forage crop, is king. One out of every three farmed acres in the Imperial Valley is dedicated to growing alfalfa, which dries into a high-protein hay used as food for livestock. Alfalfa is not only the region's biggest crop, but also one of its thirstiest. Its deep roots suck up water in a region scorched by the sun with little regard to the 22-year drought. The large-scale production of alfalfa during a mega-drought is, in large part, possible because the Imperial Valley is the single biggest controller of rights to the Colorado River. Farmers were there first. Now, with the entire lower Colorado River basin on the brink of of the most severe water cuts in history, the alfalfa industry has been propelled to the center of long-standing debates over sustainable water use and the future of farming in the West. The stakes have never been higher. The Colorado River, which supplies fresh water to more than 40 million people in seven states And 29 federally recognized tribes across the Southwest, as well as northern Mexico, is in rapid decline. We all know that since it's been in the news almost daily this past year. The two biggest reservoirs along the river, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, reached record lows in 2022 they were down to just 28% of capacity. Luckily, 2023 has been a wet year and water levels have come up to 36% of capacity. This was reported in a Zoom meeting today that the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation held to talk about pending decisions on the Colorado River. The long standing drought and disagreements over the Colorado River Compact have cast an uncomfortable spotlight on the Imperial Valley's alfalfa industry, which is not only one of the largest water users in the basin, but one of the most powerful. Farmers have faced growing criticism for what some have characterized as the perverse practice of growing a thirsty crop, none of which goes directly to feeding people, in a drought-stricken region. We're irrigating alfalfa in 120-degree temperatures in the dead of July. How does that possibly make any sense, said Jack Schmidt, a professor and director of of the Center for Colorado River Studies at Utah State University. We have been teetering on the edge, he said. On the other side are farmers like Trevor Tagg, who runs a 3,000-acre farm in Imperial Valley focused on forage crops. He knows this criticism all too well, but says he finds it frustrating. Our country is so disconnected from our food supply chain, said Tag. People don't know what alfalfa is or what it's even used for. So it's very easy to say, oh, we don't eat that. Let's get rid of it. I would tell Trevor that people in general have no idea about lots of stuff. They just take many things for granted, including electricity, gasoline, clothing, and mainly water. They just turn on the tap, and there it is. Few know or care where it originates and how it is treated, so they have fresh, clean water to drink and bathe in. There is only a small percentage that understand the connections between water and food. But we all know we got to have water every day to drink. And water goes into many of our commodities. It is going to be a trade-off. Forage crops are part of a larger food system that includes the beef and dairy industries, both in the U.S. and abroad, TAG says. He believes some issues, such as the rapid development of cities, should bear just as much scrutiny for water use. Look at Vegas, Phoenix, Orange County, and San Diego, he said, cities that have undergone significant growth. Every time that there's ever been water needed in the metropolitan areas, They've always come into the ag areas, he said. So why do they come to ag areas? Well, duh, because ag was the early industry and claimed almost all the water. Ag is the only place that we can get water for other uses. Farmers need to come to grips with that. And yet they want to hold on and do the same things over and over that their grandparents did. I think it is time they started thinking about better ways to grow crops. Hydroponics is one way to do that. Barley grown in containers can replace half of alfalfa and use less than 5% of the water an alfalfa field consumes. But farmers love alfalfa, mainly because of its reliability. The crop stores well and enjoys steady demand. But while alfalfa remains a dominant crop in the Imperial Valley, acreage dedicated to alfalfa production across California has fallen significantly over the past two decades, in part due to the rising cost of water. Wait, did I hear that right? Tell me why. Something has to be driving even a small change. Is it taxes, regulations, or a natural disaster, such as a long-term drought, so farmers no longer get all the water they used to get? Or is it just plain economics? Something is going to give. According to an analysis by the conservation nonprofit Pacific Institute, alfalfa production in California uses around five feet an acre of water, making it one of the most water intensive crops, alongside the likes of almonds, pistachios, and rice. Crops such as sugar beets use roughly three feet an acre and dry beans as little as 1.5 feet an acre. In the Imperial Valley, some farmers have already taken steps to conserve water by switching to less intensive crops. Around five years ago, Stephen Hawk, a fourth-generation farmer who grows a mix of forage crops and vegetables, decided to scale back production of alfalfa, then his biggest crop. He ramped up production of vegetables like lettuce, onions, carrots, and sugar beets. In addition to conserving water, the decision allowed him to diversify revenue streams and practice ground rotation, which comes with soil health benefits. Today, he estimates that less than half of his farm is dedicated to forage crops like alfalfa. We're ultimately stewards of the land and our resources, Hawk said, and our water is our most precious resource. He added, There's a lot of farms that are 100% forage. That's going to be very difficult for them to continue. When there's a shortage, they won't have enough water to farm all their acres. As the Colorado River crisis has worsened over the past two decades, a rift has emerged between municipal and agricultural interest over how to equitably allocate a dwindling resource. Because of supply and demand, water prices have skyrocketed, I don't feel too bad for farmers. Most with water rights are sitting on a fortune. When I look at other industries that changes were forced on, like the coal industry or maybe the hardwired phone industries, those owners and workers had to change. And many, particularly the workers, didn't have a nest egg to fall back on. Farmers do have a nest egg called water. In recent years, policymakers have imposed various restrictions aimed at curtailing residential water use, including limiting pool sizes and paying people to rip up their lawns. But others argue that municipal conservation measures can only go so far. Even if everybody ripped up their lawns, and planted native plants that didn't need to be irrigated, we're still going to have this problem. We need to address agriculture straight on, said Amanda Starbuck, Research Director of Food and Water Watch, an advocacy group on farming and water issues. Alfalfa is one of the major crops that is being grown with this water and it is, unfortunately, one of the most water-thirsty. Environmental organizations have further criticized growers in the Colorado Basin for exporting a significant portion of their alfalfa crop to countries in the Middle East and Asia, which has been likened by some to, quote, shipping water, end quote, abroad abroad, from some of the country's most water-scarce states. I have reported on this before, but even today, there are more articles talking about sweet deals being given to wealthy investors, sometimes foreign investors. It makes me wonder whose pockets are getting lined because they do not have the state's interest at heart. I'll talk about that in a future episode because it smells, and when it smells, usually something is rotten. In 2021, nearly 20% of alfalfa produced in the West was shipped abroad, according to analysis of United States Department of Agriculture data. Nationwide, Alfalfa exports reached a record high last year, driven by strong demand from China, Japan, South Korea, and Saudi Arabia, are among other top importers. Farmers in the region argue that producers in the Southwest can't simply opt out of participating in a global food system one that also serves the U.S., the world's second biggest agricultural importer after China. What people don't understand is whether we like it or not, we are interconnected in the food supply chain, said TAG. The forage commodities we produce here are feeding cattle or sheep or poultry in all these other countries. We can't just starve people because countries don't have the infrastructure to feed themselves. But I say they don't have to eat that much beef, just as we don't need to eat that much beef in this country. And alfalfa is being sent overseas to feed cattle, not chickens, not fish. What farmers and environmental advocates tend to agree on is that adapting to a water-scarce future requires a substantive re-evaluation of the current food system and that funding can be a useful incentive to help growers switch to more water-efficient crops. There shouldn't be a dictum about which crops are grown, said Maurice Hall, Vice President of Climate Resilient Water Systems for the Environmental Defense Fund. That said, helping to build alternative markets, providing equipment, and providing incentives so that the economic balance sheets makes more sense for them to grow lower water use crops makes good sense. Maybe that's so. Maybe not. Farmers need to figure out for themselves that things are changing. States have been mulling over proposals that would pay farmers to use less water, helping them to cope with the financial losses of reducing production. Funding could come from the inflation and climate bill President Biden signed into law in August, which includes $4 billion for Water Conservation Initiatives in the Colorado River Basin. Whoa! Taxpayers years ago funded Lake Powell and Lake Mead for the benefit of farmers. Should we now bail them out again? Some farmers are finding ways to make farming work with significantly less water. When faced with shortages this year, that cut their water to just one-third of their normal allotment, Landon and Brian Wilson, a father and son duo in Dolores County, Colorado, opted to plant a forage mix on some of their fields rather than let it go dry. The mix includes varieties of wheat, barley, oats, rye, and peas, and uses about half as much water as straight alfalfa. We've had to continually adapt to what would fit us financially as well as water-wise, Landon said. Good for the Landons. It's the kind of change that farmers are saying they all might have to make in the coming years, if not by choice, then by eventual necessity. I've seen how dry everything is, said Hawk. One day, there's not going to be enough water. Our ground is worthless if we don't have the water to farm it. So true. Everything is worthless if we don't have water to support it. To me, water is clearly our most precious resource. But as long as it snows, we're going to have mountain streams to sit by. And my mountain stream does not have a smell emanating from it like some of the shenanigans going on in Arizona and Southeast California. Let's talk about that next time. Summer is here and the snows are rapidly melting. So let's go enjoy my stream before it too runs dry. See you next time.